This is recording number 10848 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 10, 2010. This is the first message in the series by Randy Bolt titled, Under Construction. This message is titled, Restoring Your Soul, Part 1. Before we actually start reading from the book of Nehemiah, I want to read just a, the first part of a verse from Psalms. You don't need to turn there. Um, many of you are familiar, familiar with the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The third verse of that Psalm begins with the phrase, He restores my soul. He restores my soul. It's talking about the Lord as our shepherd. That's how that psalm begins. The Lord is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. He's the one who cares for me. He's the one who leads me. He's the one who provides for me. And among the things that Psalm 23 says that God does for his sheep. Who are his sheep? We are. We are. One of the things that that psalm says that God does for his sheep, you and me, is he restores my soul. He restores our souls. For the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about that work of God. That's underway right now. I showed you a little earlier pictures of the construction that's going on at our new facility. And uh, I I don't know, perhaps that um, informed my uh, choice of of taking on this particular study and this particular book. Uh, I'd prefer to think that God had something to do with that, but, you you know, I'm I'm human. (laughs) But surrounded with the noise of hammers and drills and saws and cranes and Shovels and uh, stuff all day long has reminded me of something. That God is faithful to do the work he, His Word says He does with us. He restores our souls. That word restore in the original language means to return to the intended state. That implies that for many of us, our souls are not in the condition that they were intended to be and that God does a work of uh, returning our souls to his intentions for us to the intended state and that's what we're going to be studying as we open the book of Nehemiah now let's begin reading at verse 1 chapter 1 Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 1 the words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah It came to pass in the month of Chislev, that's the ninth month in the Hebrew calendar, in the twentieth year, that's the twentieth year of the reign of Artaxerxes, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that's the fortress or the capital, that Hanani, one of my brethren, see Nehemiah is, is a Jew, and he's living 
among the Persians because, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. But a fellow Jew has come uh, to visit. That Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. That's the, re, the, surround, the, the, uh, the county that surrounds the city of Jerusalem. They've come from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Those words will mean a little bit more in a few minutes. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. Remember that. The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down. And its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now what follows in the next few verses is one of the most uh, beautiful of the prayers that you'll find in all of scripture. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven... O oh, great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But... If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And Nehemiah has just reminded God of a promise that God has made. It's not as though God would have forgotten. <laughs> But Nehemiah just needs to spread this promise out before God and cling to it. And that's what he does. Verse 10. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to uh, fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. The man that he's asking for mercy in the, in the sight of is the king of Persia. You're going to find out later that, uh, uh, why that is. And then we have this descriptor that uh, closes this passage and this chapter. For I was the king's cupbearer. Now, Nehemiah um, held the position of cupbearer for the king of Persia 
the dominant monarchy in the world, the global power of that time. And uh, he, he was a Jew. Cupbearers in those days were very important because you had to make sure that the um, king or the monarch was not poisoned. And that was one of the means by which uh, you know, thrones were toppled. And so the cupbearer was in charge of, of, he was the screen, the human screen that kept uh, any um, strategies of uh, takeover from happening through the use of poisons. And they, as a result, they had a very prominent por- profile in the court of the king, and Nehemiah does. Now, <clears throat> before we go any further, I need to uh, make some acknowledgments. The first acknowledgment is that uh, 30 years ago, I encountered some teachings, a, bi- a series of Bible studies by a man named Dr. Jack Hayford on this book of Nehemiah that changed my perspective of it forever and really changed my, uh, my view of so much of my relationship with God. It was very uh, pivotal in my life. And so I want to acknowledge that much of what we're, we're going to be engaged in over the next few weeks comes out of, of that, and I want to honor him for that. The second acknowledgement that I, I need to make is that what we're going to do over the next few weeks is a type study, meaning that we're going to be talking about types or analogies or allegories. Uh, As we've already said, Nehemiah is a book of history. And so we're going to be looking at historical events and seeing how they are types or uh, pictures or images or analogies of spiritual truth and spiritual things. But uh, there is a very inherent danger in that. And uh, so I want to acknowledge it right up front that you don't, you and I do not get to make the Bible say what we want to make it say. And uh, so if you just turn yourself loose or people loose to take the Bible and say, oh, you know, I see in this passage analogies of this or that. If the Bible is clearly saying of itself, this is an analogy. Like Jesus, when he used parables and parabolic teaching, he was clearly saying this is a story that illuminates or illustrates truth. If the Bible isn't isn't clear about that, you and I are not at liberty to just make them say what we want to say. And uh, people do that and get into all sorts of trouble. So we always want to be very careful that we, first of all, ask the question, what did this passage, what did God mean uh, in this passage or through this book uh, when he was speaking to the people who first heard it? How would they have understood it? And that's the starting place for our interpretation of the scriptures. And so I want to acknowledge that this is not one of those books that's clearly identified as an allegory. And yet that's how we're going to be looking at it. And I'll tell you why. These are the basis uh, or the bases for why I'm going to present this book to you in this way. First of all, because we have New Testament precedent for this kind of thing. In Matthew 12, verse 39 to 41, 
Jesus is speaking, and he, he sa- it says, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in uh, the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus himself took a book of history, Jonah, and said this book that records historical events is prefiguring. It's an analogy about some things that I'm going to do. So Jesus himself um, employed this this kind of teaching. Um, Also, the Old Testament scriptures were given, the Bible says, for our instruction. Uh, Romans 15, 4, they're not just for history. They're for our instruction. They're supposed to shed light on New Testament truth. Romans 15, 4 says, for, whoever, or for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. I'm also doing this because the Old Testament Scriptures were given as examples, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now, all these things happened to them as examples. These historical events, they, took, they happened uh, uh, as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And then finally, because the, in Second Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is profitable for, inspired by God, and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, Although anytime you engage in this kind of a study, you have to be very careful. We also have a clear, a clear platform on which to stand and proceed. So I know that that was a little bit tedious right there, but you need to know this, okay? Uh, today is primarily an introduction. Now I want to set for you the historical context of what we're reading about, these events that, took, that we're going to read about took place at a particular period of time. Most of you are familiar with the Egyptian slavery of the Hebrews. All right? The Jews were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Then um, comes along Moses, who God uses to lead them out of slavery and into the promised land. After a period of time of living in the promised land and sort of being governed by what the Bible calls judges people who were sort of serving as governors in a way, but their primary, primary role was to settle disputes and to hear from God and, and that kind of thing. After that comes the period of the kings, beginning with Saul, then David, then Solomon, and then the kingdom divides into two. Israel becomes two kingdoms. The northern kingdom is Israel, the southern kingdom is Judah. And then you make your way through all kinds of mostly downs, but some ups, as the people of God um, forsake the Lord more often than not and take on the attributes of the surrounding peoples and fall into idolatry and all sorts of wickedness. Now, along the way, God is prophesying to them over and over and over again. The guys in our 
Men's Institute know that there, is a, there are two sections in the Old Testament, the major prophets and the minor prophets, that are filled with God saying, please turn to me. You're on a course of destruction. If you continue down this path of forsaking me and pursuing sin and selfishness and idolatry, you're going to end up in enslavement, captivity. That's where this goes. Don't go that way. Turn to me again and again and again, over and over and over, page after page after page of your Bible is God pleading with his people to turn from their sin. And like I said, there's some ups, but mostly downs. And eventually the northern kingdom is, uh, comes into the captivity of the Assyrians. And then after that, the people of the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is and Judea um, are going to be are taken captive by the Babylonians. Then the Babylonians, uh, who, who rule the you know they rule the earth pretty much. They are the superpower. They fall to the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. And now we have Nehemiah and his uh, uh, forefathers were uh, brought to Babylon uh, from their homes in Jer- in Jerusalem and Judea. And the whole uh, area uh, that the Israelites had um, for their homeland has been corrupted. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The people who were left there, this, you know, were, we read were in great, distress, great distress. The gates were burned with fire. The, the city walls were torn down. It was a mess. It was a mess. So Nehemiah gets this word. Some people along the way... Um, in uh, the, the Persians, uh, shortly after they um, overthrew the Babylonians, they let some of the Jewish people go back to their homeland, to, to uh, the area of Jerusalem. And what they did is they began to reconstruct the temple. That temple was completed in 516 B.C. And then a few years later, in 450 B.C., we come to chapter 1 of Nehemiah. So, this is the historical context. Some of the people have returned to their homeland. Uh, it's, It's not an easy life for them. But they've been rebuilding slowly but surely the temple. And now it has, they have a working temple in the city of Jerusalem. But the walls are torn down. The gates are burned with fire. And Nehemiah hears this report and he weeps. And then he prays. Now let's just talk for a few minutes about the spiritual analogy that we're dealing with here. You've heard me talk about this before, that you and I are tripartite beings. We have three three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. And if you think of it as concentric circles, the core of who you are is your spirit. That's the part of you that was made for God. Uh, relationship with God is the eternal part of you for God consciousness. The next ring out from there is your soul. That's, that's your personality, your intellect, your emotions, your decision-making um, uh, attributes are there. And that part of you is designed for a self-consciousness. And then the next concentric circle out from there is your body, spirit, soul, body. And um, your body is made, is made of, that's, that's your physical um, 
systems, your senses, and that part of you is how you have uh, world consciousness. That's how you interact with the world. So if you think about is, uh, Judea, Judah, the core of their spiritual life is represented by the temple. It has been rebuilt. It has been restored. But the, that which defines Jerusalem, the walls that, that define the boundaries of Jerusalem, what Jerusalem is, what distinguishes that city from any other city, what distinguishes it from the surrounding regions, that is torn down in disrepair. That is analogous to your soul. And the surrounding region of, Judea, of Judah or Judea would be analogous to your body. And so the book of Nehemiah is the story of the rebuilding of the walls of the city of Jerusalem, the reestablishing of the soul of the people. And as we look through this book, we're going to see how God wants to rebuild your soul and my soul. I had one time we uh, we had a uh, the fence around our house blown down not not here in Vallejo but in San Jose we had the fence around our house blown down by a windstorm and you know it was the weirdest thing it's like that dream you have when you're walking down the street and you realize you're naked <laughs> so I'm the only one that has that dream. It's not a good feeling. Well, it was like that. It was really the weirdest thing to not have. Now, I know there's parts of the country. I've visited parts of our country where people don't have fences. But here, I've grown up. Every, there's, there's a boundary. There's something that defines my house and my property from my neighbors. And when that was down, it was the strangest feeling. It was like, well, what, what, what are we? What is our house? Where is our property? And, you know, there's something very... Um, that you and I, we may not be conscious of, but the effects of sin on our lives has broken down that which defines us. If you, have you ever asked yourself the question, who am I? What is my purpose? What is my life about? If you have ever found yourself pondering that question, this is what you're talking about. The boundaries of what God intended, your soul, the definition of who you are, is, is corrupted. It's broken. And that allows for all kinds of uh, satanic disturbance and intrusion and corruption in your life. But God wants to... The book of Nehemiah shows us that God wants to rebuild, restore our souls. It says there in, uh, in the passage that we read from Nehemiah chapter 1, when describing, when, when he gets this report, when Nehemiah gets this report from the people that are, have been returned to, uh, to uh, Jerusalem, that they are in great distress. 
And that means they are vulnerable. There's nothing, nothing to protect them. Any enemy that comes along can access them. Can you imagine living in hostile territory and not having any form of protection? Always just insecure. Well, there's a spiritual analog to that. Those of us who have experienced the devastation of of sin in our lives, we have a certain vulnerability to stuff. And it causes us to be less than, to know less than the, the absolute security that God wants us to feel. And it also meant that there was no, no control because the gates were burned. So they didn't have any way to have controlled access to their lives. Have you ever found yourself doing things that you didn't want to do? I'm not asking for a show of hands, you notice. Part of that is because the, your soul is broken. There's no gates there that control the access. And you find yourself saying things and doing things and thinking things that you don't want to. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes about this. He says, the things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. And the things I hate, that's what I find myself doing. These are all symptoms of the broken uh, corruption of our, or the broken condition of our souls. The report that Nehemiah got also said that the people lived in reproach or disgrace. That meant, as I've already said, that they lost their, they they had no identity. They lived with an ongoing sense of shame or disgrace. And if you carry that through this analogy, you see pretty quickly that it also is analogous to uh, the problem of low self-esteem that so many of us have. But thank God, thank God, we have someone who is interested in rebuilding, restoring, recovering our souls. And he is the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words from um, John chapter uh, 14. And I, Jesus is speaking, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Helper means one who comes alongside to help. It also can be um, uh, described as the one who comes to comfort, comfort another helper, that he may abide with you, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. But the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. God has commissioned the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, 
as our rebuilder, our restorer. And I want to leave you with this. As I said, this is primarily introductory today, but I want to relieve you, or, or leave you with this. The Nehemiah, his name, Nehemiah, means consolation of God, comfort of God. We have in this book a story of a man whose name is Comforter who launches a rebuilding project to restore the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And just as surely as that is true, more sure than that, the Holy Spirit of God has been assigned by God. Our comforter, the comforter, has been assigned by God to rebuild your soul and mine. 